<laughs> you're such a you're such a trip. Look at you, man. What do I like? Will Ferrell in the movie? Like, was that old school? Where you sitting there talking? He's like, "What do I do with my hands?" You just keep coming up, <laughs> right? So well, you that, have to come every once in a while. Just hey, put him down. Yeah, it's okay. Um, I was asking if you could uh, ha you handle your fun stuff like you do mm. as good as you could handle your your tequila. Was the question? Okay, so again, the tequila. What are we looking at? Forty percent alcohol there. It's pretty standard to find. You never find tequila more than forty-five. You know, just be. It wouldn't be tequila then. The notes would be drowned out by the alcohol. But if you go with a single malt whiskey, if you want to go a step further, maybe like a single barrel single malt, um, do it with a really high proof and a really large rock, that to me is like, after a long day, that's the thing. Just like, ah. <clears throat> So as you're saying those things, I'm trying to figure out, like, are you just making up words now? Do you even, <laughs> like, you're, dude, what happened? You, first is, of all, who knows what? Like, when you're getting a, a, a tequila, uh -huh. Most of the time, you're not like, I wonder if this is a 40 or more. You know, you're thinking like, I want, and you're probably not using the terms like, I wonder if this one's delicious, you know? <laughs> I mean, every now and then you get a good one. I, I stumbled on that one, and I've plowed through uh, several bottles of that one since. Um, I think Crosby is who turned me on to that one, and, and he kind of looked at me like an idiot. He's like, you've never heard of that one? I was like, mm, bean cheese gringo, right? So Someone told me that's Don Julio's <clears throat> son. Really? Yeah. Well, like, maybe that explains it, you know. Yeah, like son coming out doing his own thing. I was like, well, I haven't verified this, but that's what I was told. What's your favorite tequila? Well, yeah, yeah, it, but that's not practical. So like, Lalo is a great. Um, it's not practical. So yeah, I mean, what am I gonna do? Like, that's a weekend. Like, it's not. Or a podcast. Or a podcast. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers to a glorious, delicious bottle of tequila. Of freedom. I've always enjoyed those bottles. Remember that night we went out in Phoenix with uh, like JT and they had like different eight different bottles of classic. I didn't know they went that high. I didn't know they had those colors. It was like three of them were like mezcal or it was uh, there was one that I, I could only compare it to like if you had a regular steak uh -huh. and then you had Wagyu <laughs> and there was one of those classe mezcals that he pulled out and it was so rich. Mm. It was like probably 300 dollars a shot for all i know but mm -hmm. it was there was almost too much to enjoy does that make sense <laughs> so anyways listen thanks for coming i have a privilege of working with you so mm -hmm. um how does this start Do I, is it buenos dias uh buenos noches <laughs> tell tell the people that are listening <laughs> that don't know who you are who who are you i'm anthony garcia i'm the evp of technology and government for overwatch and my primary focus day in, day out is recruiting veterans. All right. Well, that's a lot to unpackage there, right? So <laughs> so tell me, like start at the beginning. And, and I know that obviously you and Jesse were one of our first guests on the podcast. So some people probably have got to hear your amazing story. And if you want to just touch note it with um, the cliff note version. Yeah. Because I do want to, I think that that whole, the genesis of your history and your family history will lay a pretty decent foundation for people that will hear some of the amazing things you're doing and they'll understand why. Yeah, I mean, that's the greatest thing about it. Is like you kind of wonder, why are you doing this? Like, yeah. what, what drew you to be in this business? Why would you want to do it in the first place? And I can think back, well, I didn't set out to do this. I just recall when I, uh, you know, where I grew up in South Texas, military was part of the culture there. Um, my father served, my mother served, my older brother served. You know, this is in the 90s, 80s, 70s. So it was just, 
part of what the culture was there and that that's part of being a man in South Texas. I, that's how I grew up anyways. My grandfather served, all of his brothers served. My mom's side was the same. So it was just one of those things that I knew I wanted to um, since I was a kid, just didn't know an application. The funny thing is I almost went Navy for the longest time. So so what happened? You, you just didn't score high enough on your ASVAB or? Well, it's funny you say that. Their ROTC program has a little different requirements than the Army's. But no, uh, at the time, I uh, well, hold on. No, back this train up. What? What did you? Why Navy? Because <laughs> my because they make movies. Well, my grandfather was in the Navy and he served in the Pacific. And hearing you know just not even hearing, looking his albums, he would make these picture albums, Ooh. and he'd be like, "Well, he, the, the language that was used was <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was a he was a man of God. Like, but he was very graphic in what he described. Like, this is this, and he had just amazing stories that I would hear from my brother. I never got to talk to him because I he died when I was two, but understanding that what a kamikaze pilot was like kind of flying into a ship and seeing that view as a kid you're like my goodness like that's that's what he went through and then he came back and then wanted to go be a missionary in mexico yeah and that's where my mom was adopted so like for me that story of knowing everything he did and the fact that he came back and then wanted to be a missionary in mexico and that's the whole reason my parents would have ever met you know um, they were both oh Wait a second. Because like she, they adopted my mom in Mexico. Oh, that's it. As missionaries. Florida. Yeah. So gotcha. When he got back from the war, he was like, you know what? I'm going to go travel the world and like tell people about God. And it was like the whole reason <clears throat> we exist. That's know? a lot of, um, you remember, did you, I did a podcast with Bill Clark, Microsoft. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. His dad came back uh, from really? the war and, and his mom and dad became missionaries. Yeah. He, Whoa. I mean, it's. Combat will do that to people, right? So yeah, it's crazy. Cause, I mean, that was. Just, I mean, I think a lot of us look back to that war, and it's like, well, what we didn't go through is that bad. Like they went through the greatest like, generation. Yeah, you for just sure. look back and like, those are the guys that went through all the shit. Like you know. Yeah, I had the opportunity when I was in the military. When I was active duty, I was in Connecticut, and uh, I was stationed at New London Sub Base, which is the submarine capital of the world. Where's that? Uh, New London, Connecticut. Connecticut. Yep. There's an army up there. I can't see. I yeah. We don't need you. We, we got <laughs> submarines. Dude. No. Uh, There's no land to fight on that. Yeah. But you know what's awesome about that submarine base? That it was only dedicated to submarines. So when you have people retiring out of the Navy that were career submariners, they they retire and typically stay there. So it's heavily saturated with a ton of veterans, Navy mm -hmm. veterans, submarine veterans. Mm -hmm. And I got to... Uh, meet a lot of them during like tax season. There were some things we were doing once, you know, the Navy will pay for you to, they'll, they'll do your taxes for you, right? Mm -hmm. And you spend enough time there, you spend a lot of time with these veterans that are coming in that are retirees and have been out of the game. Mm -hmm. And I would talk to them about what it was like to be on a diesel submarine during World War II, right? <laughs> Just crazy submarine. stories. And imagine like every time they went out to sea, you know, every time they thought they that may be the last time they see, they come back. I didn't have that when I was in. We were, mm -hmm. we were, a hundred percent confident we were always coming back. Right? We had a mm -hmm. great crew. We had great things set up for it. But that's the beauty about the military. They, you know, teach us on all the advanced weapons, machinery, technology, and how to deal with crazy stuff. It sounds like. Mm -hmm. So your family lineage is yeah. So the Navy thing again. That's what drew me there. But my grandfather, he served in World War II, and so did his brothers. And one of his brothers served in like Battle of the Bulge. So it was like oh, always wow. hearing these stories of like. Man, what kind of shit did he go through? That's why he was the ranch that was on the back end of where our ranch was. And he just had this little house he kept to himself. My grand, my father told me a lot about him. But, you know, that's what I grew up around, military. It was like Navy, Army. And then 
what drew me there is my brother was stationed in Fort Sam Houston. He introduced me to a lot of the people he worked with, and it just became, hey, you should do this. And it all just lined up because I was ready for someone to lead me and say, you should just take the step and go do, do this way. And that introduction is what led me to the Army. That's what led me into the ROTC program. It's led me in the infantry. You know, it all started there in, in San Antonio, Texas. <laughs> I'm not from San Antonio initially at the time, but that's how did, why were you in San Antonio then? Well, it's crazy. My my brother at the time was going through divorce, and he got the closest assignment he could get to his kids was in San Antonio. So it just became an opportunity as me as a young kid in Houston. Um, in my like, I think I was 19, and it was like, uh, yeah, it'd be great to put the band back together because I lived with my brother when I was 12 for two years in Germany, and it was the most informative experience. You know, as a kid from South what Texas. What branch of service was he in? Because you were Army. living. So he was an army. For some reason, I thought you told me he was an Air Force guy. I'm an army guy. I got you. Yeah. So, uh, and you lived with him in Germany, and then he came to San Antonio, and then yeah, know, I mean, he's the... the whole reason I joined the military. I mean, I think from a parent perspective, we're in a wartime. Like my dad's not saying like, "Hey, go go join this like crazy war that's going on," and I'm just saying, I, I think I should go. Like I feel like I need this is what I want to do, and my brother just showed me the pathway, and I went the way I did. You know through a lot of his guidance. So it started there, you know, just that's what family is. You know, you kind of sure. le look at those things in your older brothers and grandfathers and everything else. So but what did you end up, because um, when you were with the Guard, were you Army National Guard enlisted first before you were you Well, this is what I did. I joined the Army Reserves first. That's it, Reserves. Doing cranes and shit. Yeah, I a pretty damn good crane operator, if I could say so myself. And <laughs> I was a private first class, private first class Garcia in the it was like two, a 420th engineer or something in San Antonio. And I got to do that for about two years while I was in college. And I had enough credits to join the ROTC program at that time. What was he? Uh, and that's what I did. I left the reserves because now dude, I had this I had this mentor. His name was uh, Major. Uh, God damn, what's his fucking name? He was a great dude. I feel bad forgetting his name right now. But he was an amateur guy. And he worked with my brother like for this general. And he was with the 101st Airborne Division. He was a company commander and he deployed multiple times. So just hearing kind of what his life was like, is like you reinforced everything I, I had in my head. Like, I'm going to be an infantry officer. And he's like, well, you're in an engineer battalion. Like, what the hell are you doing there? Go to the fucking infantry. And I was like, what, what do you mean? He's like, there's a guard unit, right? He's like, at least go there now to start being in the infantry if, you're gonna, if that's what you really want. And uh, I was like, uh, uh, I don't have a reason why it's like, I have no reason to say no at this point. So I started the process, moved over to the National Guard, or excuse me, the Texas National Guard. And there's an infantry battalion on Camp Bullets in San Antonio. And there you go. You know, you just throw in the meat grinder of like, go figure this one out. And it was fun. How long did you do that for? Another two years. And then I, <clears throat> I graduated college, commissioned in uh, 2009. Went to Georgia, learned to be an infantry officer, learned how to jump out of airplanes. That was fun. And then went to Hawaii, my first unit. And that must be rough. Did you get to pick that? Or was that random? So the army uh, let me pick like the top three, and as long as you gave them three years of your life, you could kind of get what you want. So at the time, it was like, whatever, let's do this. So what was what? What was one? Was it Hawaii? It was. Uh, it was Italy. Yeah, that would be cool. Vicenza Air, but like everybody wants to go to Hawaii. Yeah. Third, like they're the fame unit, so everybody wants to go there. I was able to get Hawaii, so I was pretty happy about that. What was that? that, number two, number three? That was my number two. Okay, what was Germany your- Germany was my number three. 
Gotcha. All right. Well, cool. I mean, that sounds pretty awesome. So you end up in Hawaii, which does not suck, I'm sure. How long were you stationed there for? Three years. Um, I think uh, I was there for seven months, went to Afghanistan for 12 months, and then came back for almost a year and really enjoyed it on the way out. So it was a, it was a good time, man. Like of all the times I think about everyone in the military, they have to come back to like Georgia and Kansas and like Oklahoma. <laughs> like at least we came back to Hawaii. It's like, oh yeah, go to war. But you get to go to home to Hawaii and go on leave for at least 60 days. So I think of everyone in the military, it's not a bad spot to come back to. No. Uh, I um I have a buddy that he's a command master chief. He's stationed in Naval Station San Diego, I think. And he um he uh, I think he spent like more than 20 straight years out there in the Navy. And then fi finally they're like, hey, um, and they moved him to San Diego, right? He's in San Diego right now, but he's lived in Hawaii for like the last 22, wow. 24 years. And I was like, it's unbelievable. He's trying to get to 30. And I was like, you lived in Hawaii for more than half your life. So mm -hmm. life can't be that rough, right? It was pretty crazy. But mm -hmm. San Diego probably doesn't suck either. But when you left Hawaii, like, what was it like? Take us through that experience of transitioning out of active duty because that's going to dovetail back to what you're doing now, right? So is, and you know, we're going to talk about Spark and the oh, campaign yeah. that you guys had. You had an incredible run for Anchors of Hope, which I'm excited to talk about. But It was fucking fantastic. I haven't thought about transition in a long time. Like when I think Your about- Your own transition? Yeah, I mean, I haven't had anyone ask me that question. Like probably what was it like? a very long time. I'm usually asking someone else, like, hey, how can I help you with your transition? Not like, how was mine? That was in 2014. Uh, 2014, wow. So yep. I left Hawaii in 2012, 2013. Um, but see, this is the thing. When you're in an uh, infantry battalion like that, there's all types of roles you can fall into. You're doing so many different things that the experience you get just gives you the confidence to go, like, do all kinds of shit. It's like, okay, you're tasked with leading 38 men in uh, Imagine being 26 years old and your first job is you land in Afghanistan, you go to some disparate base after helicopter after helicopter, and you're not in charge of anyone yet. Like you're just someone who's on the staff right now and you do procurement and shit and you you travel there kind of with a smaller team. You get on base and like your whole role initially as an infantry officer is just um, contracting, like doing these things. Like so every day. The base gets, there's always incoming fire every morning. It's just like a thing you just deal with. of just like sirens going off and just explosions. But you're like this guy who gets there and you're like, well, I'm an infantry guy, but all I do is sit around and do fucking procurement. So you do that for three months. And I got a chance to figure out how to fund projects, how to be a construction manager without any, like, hey, go build 32 T-barriers. And it's like, no one tells you to do it. You just have to like feel from the unit to like, well, what do you need? Oh, well, we need things to stop um, RPGs from hitting our vehicles from the side. So I was like, oh yeah, T-walls. So you just go figure it out. And so I think a lot of those things were informative, but the thing is, then one day you get an opportunity to lead. And so imagine 26 years old, this is your job. Your next job is leading 38 men. And it's like, well, what do you do? Well, we protect things. We go and fight people. We respond to things. It's like your your business is is closing the distance with the enemy and being a, a an ally and a friend to the community. And so like you're balancing be aggressive over here, but you have to be good to these people and they have to trust you if you want intel from them, if you want them to you know, go to the larger picture of what we're trying to do there. And that's what you do when you're 26. So it's, it's a crazy thing because I'm 38 years old now and I can't even think about doing it now, much less being th you know, 26, what that's like. But that's what you get to do in the military at a young age and through that program. 
So I got to be part of that life, come back from Afghanistan, um, do other things in the infantry, go to different groups in El Paso and learn more about how the, the Army does things from a larger procurement perspective when they're buying um, network equipment. And when I left the, the Army, I just left with, well, hell, I can do just about anything, right? Like, I mean, but they were, we were given tasks that there's no instruction, there's no manual, there's no often even Figure a handoff. Out. You just do it. Yeah. So when you come out of the military, you come out with that excitement. And what I realized is if you can't articulate and you can't give it into terms, if you don't understand what a project manager in data center construction does, but you just know you can do shit, it's hard to get that job. It's hard to convince someone that you can do that job. And I struggle with that. Aligning what you did and what you learned from while you were on active duty, how that translates into what the demands are in the industry as a civilian. That's like, <clears throat> I think the whole mission of what we, why we even started that mm -hmm. program was to uh, bridge that gap, right? Is to, um, on, on our podcast, almost every time at the end, I always try to wrap it up with a couple of similar questions that I ask everybody because I'm genuinely interested in understanding one, uh, where their position is at on those things or how they message, you know, or how, whatever their own narrative looks like for how they explain to people what they do. Mm -hmm. But I always ask them like, what's the data center, you know, and just to hear them say it, because it, it's, uh, it's still, a, it's not a subjective term to us, but to others. I mean, yeah, they're like, of course, like, days there. What do you mean? Of course. Right. Mm -hmm. And and some people view it like, oh, it's got servers and this and that. And you're like, well, it's a lot more than just those mm -hmm. things. And and if if we could bridge that gap too, <clears throat> while we try to continue to bridge the gap between translating what is what is gained or, or um, what is learned when you're on active duty and how that is somewhat neutral, mm -hmm. um, or I'm, it's it's able to transcend into all kinds of different roles, right? If you're yeah. going into an, a role that requires an SME of some kind, maybe you had a job like that in the military, maybe it has one that respires, you know, requires a great deal of whip sawing and energy and, you know, things mm -hmm. that are going to be going up and down, a lot of emotional roller coasters. Then, you know, maybe that's an infantry person that um, is just used to organize chaos all the time, right? Submariners do not do chaos. It's, <laughs> everything's predictable in advance with everything we do. Mm -hmm. And we do that by design, right? That's the only way to optimize efficiency. But you guys are tasked with um, running up hills and dealing with whatever happens when you get there, you know, and that's a whole nother condition of the mind. But how do you write that and put it on a piece of paper? So if you're comparing apples to apples with a college kid, you know, that mm -hmm. um, not to trivialize, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of kids that come out of school that have a lot of life experiences that come with that. But how do you say, hey, you know, this this level of something is greater than this level of something because it goes higher or deeper or wider into something. I don't know how we fix that. I know there's a lot of people that take a, def a lot of different approaches to trying to attack that mm -hmm. problem. But <clears throat> your method of trying to approach it and why, you know, this is your baby has been since day one, right? So what was the genesis behind getting to where we're at, you know, and how would you explain it? Yeah. Um... Well, again, I can think back to origins of like, well, I got out of the army. It was a challenge. You know, it was like applying to things. And did you have an idea of what you were going to do when you came out? Because like oh, right no, now, no. I mean, I knew I wanted to go into oil and gas industry. That's why what I is that? Because that. that brought you back to Texas. Um, it was yeah, no, prevalent Texas. You know, not being in Texas for a long time, not really being in 
you know, a professional in Texas anyways. I lived everywhere else but Texas, you know, for eight years. Um, yeah, I don't even recall. But why did you want to be in energy? Like oil and gas? Well, at, at the time, again, it's a large industry. I knew about, I had some family that worked in, you know, different Got areas. It. So it was like, right. oh, you know, it's a good opportunity. But what exactly were you going to be? Because you were born and raised in construction, right? So was it to be a yeah, PM? Yeah, well, actually, that's what I wanted to get into, the construction side of oil and gas where, you know, developing the, the pipeline, like when they go and dig wells. So I'd seen wells before. And so there was some interest there. Like it would be neat to go dig, you know, build that type of thing. And the other side of it was, well, telecom. You know, my father was in telecom for years, and I was building cell phone towers, building cell phone networks with all types of players, AT&T and Verizon and all those. And so I kind of had those two things in mind. It's like oil and gas because, well, I'm from Texas, and that's like a common thing. That makes sense. No more commodity there. in the world, but yeah. Yeah, I should go there. And then it was like, well, telecom is this thing. And I tried to go into this side, and I didn't even know what I was applying for in hindsight. Analyst this, project coordinator this. It didn't have any other association other than, well, this is a little comparison tool, and it says I kind of fit into this uh, world here, and, and I just didn't find the role I liked. I, I certainly got job offers. I got assistant superintendent offer from like David Weekly Homes, and it just it didn't line up. It didn't feel like I just left the infantry. I just left this career in which I got to do and shoot things and blow things up and buy things and build things and just be part of it. To to that, you know, building homes, it just didn't excite me. And working in a factory didn't excite me. So part of this is um, just not realizing until I got out that I didn't realize that I wouldn't want to do most of the jobs I would encounter. Um, so how do you how do you go from there? I started finding resources. And it was that big change. American Corporate Partners is one of them that was first recommended to me. And this group finds people in Fortune 500 companies who just want to help. And this one gentleman from Oxy Petroleum um, was like, oh, my goodness, this is it. I'm going to get my path and all the cash when he connects with me. And one of the first things he was telling me, he's like, dude, your resume is terrible. Why is it so long? He's like, it's like really wordy here. And he was just straight to the point. And I was like, uh, I don't know. What else? How could you get it into more than – How can you? Because I've never done this before. That's why. I was yeah. like, but I got four pages. He's like, you need one. Yeah. And I was like, I don't even know how I'm going to do that. So, like, he was just super to the point. Hey. Stop applying to things on websites. Stop doing this. And what I realized after a while, and that's the whole reason I found my path. And like from there, it was like, oh yeah, I'm a fucking idiot. Let's let's not do that. Was that person, whoever that was, was it a veteran, or was it no. just someone that just he said, just hey, wanted to support? That's awesome. And uh, did they? I don't know what that organization is that you called out, but is that with American the, Corporate Partners? So what is that exactly? Is that just like a group of volunteers, or is that a company well, that they do have employees, but it's a nonprofit? Yeah, and they uh, they work with again companies in the Fortune 500 realm. They try to find executives, directors, and they say, "Hey, would you be willing, you know, remotely, to intern, felt like have a, a a veteran come out and just learn from you for nine months. Bring yeah. them to a meeting, tell them what you learn, tell them what you do, give them some coaching, help develop them over this <clears> nine-month <throat> period. And again, it's remote. We're checking in each week. We're reviewing things. He's kind of building a game plan to help you develop a little more. And that's what I got to do. And it was only because this master sergeant I worked with was like, hey, I heard this really great program. So word of mouth is what brought that company in my realm. And again, straight to the point. And I how did you find that group? Like, what would active duty people right now run into that exists that's still like that? Because I never heard of anything well, like that. See, that's I... the problem then, and it's a little bit now. 
it was word of mouth. It was this master sergeant was just getting out, and he was like, "Ah, you, you should go this, and you should do a LinkedIn, and you should do that." Oh wow! So he dialed. Yeah, it I was in like, "What's LinkedIn?" And he's like, "Well, first, let me tell you, don't just go make a profile. This isn't Facebook." He's like, first, go figure out what you're going to put there. Go write down your history. Go write down something about yourself. Let's review it. Don't post any. Don't don't start anything until this. So man, what a huge help that must have been. I honestly hadn't even thought about that full conversation with these these guys until you you asked me. Hey, that's I, uh, good. That's got, muy I'm very, bueno. I'm very parched. If you don't mind. Oh no no, get after it, son. Mm. I love that one. But these sen senior NCOs, they're the ones who were just like, hey, you should do this. You should do that. And I felt very privileged in in hindsight. Not everybody gets that because yeah. that's not something that it's contradictory to keeping for, for retention. And it's, mm. un, it's unfortunate, but you, you don't go celebrate like, hey, guys. Oh, I got you. If you get out next year, you can have this. So in a way. You're incentivizing the exit. Yeah. So you can't say it to the masses and you can only. And that's where I think you, that's why I got this small conversation. This is something he was spreading because it still exists that way. And it, in a way, that conversation should be had by the transition department. And not by your senior there's, leaders. There's 2,000 people leaving the military every month right now. There's absolutely, there's 200 to 250,000 people that are leaving the military okay. every year that are winging it, you know, in many cases. I mean, one of the reasons why we shifted and added a podcast is because the conference was what we were adding mm -hmm. to um, really connect more to this specific industry. And then, and then we started dovetailing veterans into it because they're pretty prevalent within the space. But then we realized there's a limitation, right? We were having some active duty people come last year, mm -hmm. but we couldn't get them all to come. A podcast is a good way to reach the bases, right? So the reason why I'm asking these questions is because there'll be someone on some ship or some sub or out in some uh, tent somewhere, wherever you guys like to camp mm -hmm. in the army and some hotel room with really good air conditioning if you're in the Air Force, you know, stashed away somewhere. and. And they're not sure what they're going to do, but there's all these things that you stumbled upon and found a mentor, right? So, or you called it a resource. Yeah, no, mentor, you're right. Those, I mean, you're like, hey, I found, I got resources, but really you had someone mentor you through that whole thing. And I could understand why the military wouldn't make that a, an offer because it's counterintuitive if they're constantly trying to improve retention, mm -hmm. right? So where is that? Who does, who's it left to, to fill that blind spot? Right. Hopefully, we could contribute. Obviously, mm -hmm. we're not, we're not, we're not that. We're not a nonprofit. But what we can do is make sure that what we do do as a business aligns with contributing to that culture, as well mm -hmm. as when I say culture, I guess I should say community. You know, the veteran community or the active duty, soon to be veteran community. But simultaneously, and the thing that's the greatest about it is it also benefits our industry. Right. We're very laser focused in one group, or one vertical. Yeah. So. I think that there isn't many industries that make it easier to understand the transition between the military and industry because in in our industry, the data center industry, it's also referred to as the mission critical industry. And that was subjective. You know, that was like, okay, we're measuring uh, loss of revenue by downtime, which is pain. But in the military, it's also mission critical it's just they measure more measure in mortality, right? Death and there's 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 so much risk to what you do in the military that we have a number of people that die 
sadly each year just from training accidents yeah, let alone training. let alone the byproduct of being active duty for so long that there's things that are triggered within us mm -hmm. so it's it's interesting how <clears throat> you found your way here on accident <laughs> and you had a mentor or a series of mentors that got you here that are coaching you all the way down to the point where they're stopping you from blasting or shotgun blasting applications and they're coaching you on how to shave down a resume mm -hmm. and they're you know not guiding you through the critical importance of having a, a very solid linkedin profile right i had nothing like that <laughs> i was just the blind man walking around with a cane and the cup and begging for help yeah for sure it's bananas out there but now there's so many other people now we have much more you know advanced technologies that do allow us to sit here in austin texas and 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 sit inside the bases at Fort Hood or Norfolk, Virginia or wherever. Mm -hmm. We just need to be able to try to help continue to shape that and and build some momentum around that narrative that needs a lot of other groups, veteran groups that are contributing. But when you were going through this and you did those things, how are you applying it to what you're doing now? And then, you know, for the people that are listening, I don't want them to think that we're trying to shoot a commercial on Spark. What I'm really <laughs> trying to do is create a message that could be shared with the veterans mm -hmm. to be made aware of what you were doing to get out and how there's things out there that there, there's going to be someone that's listened to this and like, I didn't even think about that. They're active duty right now. But really, I want them to understand that there's a series of organizations that are out there that specialize in focusing on helping them specifically transition out, not to just one company, but to an industry or to multiple different mm -hmm. industries. So learning what you learned by having those mentors that you had and i may come back to you know the other part of that story but mm -hmm. how did that dovetail into what you're doing now because you've refined a very very specific program and you have a very hybrid unique you know set of talent that of resources that you that you get to work with today yeah well i think in order to answer that i got i got to answer the question you asked a little while ago and it was like how do we fix that conversation i got and we get that into the passes because that's truly how how we've designed the business and so how do you get it this isn't a government thing you don't say hey army this is the program you need to roll out across all these things all branches need to do this type of transitioning it's like you guys are never going to do it right you can never hire the right resources for it it's, it's not it's just you can't do it you can't hire someone who did what we did and can go sit in front of them and be like hey this is what a project manager is this is what a industry is these are the different types of focuses you can't have that rolled out in a government program because this is not who would be the best advocate for it so how do you do this it'd be like going to the dmv imagine going to the oh dmv yes that, to, do, to have this whole thing done <laughs> that's all it would be so unfortunately you can't push it through those channels how do you do that it's more about letting people like us know that we can do this and then for people like us spearheading it being pioneers in what we're doing we're building an ecosystem we don't just have a business here we're building an ecosystem that says veterans we're not going to explain how you do it you get a job here let me explain what this industry is this is how they recruit people this is how they perform the projects this is how they manage them and so when you go into this industry you're not like i'm a project manager and you have no idea why you're doing what you're doing you're like oh i'm in the industry that builds for this company because these people rely on their services and so what i'm doing here impacts all of them and it takes a different ownership so we as private, like ex-veterans, our ex-veterans, I'm sorry, former active duty uh, members of all services, we're the ones that have to lead this. And it's only through that it's just going to build new people. It's going to build more organizations. So one of the things that we get to do at Spark is we get to interact with the community 
in a way that's we got to go out to them. We can't post things on LinkedIn and expect that to be the only tool to let veterans come to us. I didn't know what LinkedIn was. So how can I rely on just that yeah. platform alone? Yeah, when I didn't know true. what the hell LinkedIn was. So we need to go to the bases. We Good need to call. go shake hands and be like, hey, we're a pathway. When you're ready, we are here to get you not just a, a job, but a pathway in understanding what is civilian life. Like you didn't look for a job in the military. You didn't go solicit, you know, HR yeah. people. You were just moved around. So you didn't understand that aspect. So we want to teach you fundamentally at first, how do you find a job? So our candidates need to know more than just what the opportunity is. And it's platforms like this that we're really going to allow to speak more about how we can help them. So why you should come to us, that kind of thing. I almost take it up the stack one, right? Because what we're talking about with veterans is mm -hmm. we're taking these people and introducing them to things they've never done before. And I mean, things they've never done before in just one industry. Now multiply that by X amount of industries. But you can get into the data center industry and you could have 50 different opportunities. And there are new jobs being created today that a veteran getting out of the military and I mean, there are veterans getting out of the military in two years from now and there's jobs that they're gonna roll into that don't even exist today. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just massively glowing. So if you think about it, what we're talking about is taking someone coming out of the military and then what you look for is them to try to find something within this vertical that they can do that they have never done before. But it's no different than what they were one chapter before that, which was a civilian trying to get into one of the branches of industry, which is the military. So there's multiple, every branch of the military is different from each other in a way as almost every industry is a civilian Truly. is different. So you now you have to pick a, an industry or a branch of service. And then in that, you have to look at one of those 50 to 300 different MOSs or NECs or whatever. And they have to say, I can do that. Mm -hmm. and, and the only thing that they're using to determine they can do that is their passion. I want to do that, right? They, not because they've been trained for it or they have a specific skill set for it. They're young. They just, they have really no skill set. They just have an idea of what they want to do and they have a passion to do it. Mm -hmm. If they know that's what they want to do, then they pick that and that becomes their rate and that's what they do in the military, right? There's options to change, but mm -hmm. it's it's not rare, but it's not as prevalent, right? Yeah. So now we're just asking them to do that again. Hey, remember when you were a civilian and you weren't sure which branch you wanted to go into and you didn't know what rate you wanted to be? Let's do that again. Do you know which industry you want to go into? This one's data centers. And do you know what you want to do in that data center? Well, let's give it a shot. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's almost like just another version of that pattern. I think the only difference is when you come into that, can we agree that anybody coming out of the military, anybody, has achieved a minimum standard of knowledge or aptitude base, or they've they've demonstrated some level of intelligent proficiency of some kind, mm -hmm. um, and most importantly they have thrived at the thing that's most important in all corporate um, organizations today, which is culture. Mm -hmm. They typically buy into a hierarchy. They understand that the mission comes first, not them. Mm -hmm. uh, the command comes first, not them. And that we're all rowing in the same direction, right? So I think that is something that we have to figure out how to codify maybe a little bit better, where you have people in every branch of service that have a minimum standard of life experience or wisdom or knowledge or whatever you want to call it scars 
<laughs> and then they have the ability to take that and pick up where they left off, you know, in the military. Mm-hmm. We just have to condition our civilian counterparts in corporate America to understand that you can take the risk, you know, experience in many cases based on the way, I mean, we're in a very unique vertical. Mm-hmm. Our vertical evolves faster than every other vertical because of every other vertical, right? So there are things that we as a consumer demand from our arbitrarily here, a bank, so that bank's gonna evolve to be able to provide that service, which is gonna demand this IT, which is gonna have an impact on the data center market, right? Mm -hmm. Or the cloud, which again, falls back into the data center market. We are the lead for those things. So if you look at it, you know, how do you, how do you hit this moving target with these people transitioning out when there's so many things that are shifting and done? And I love how you set that up because I, I was thinking this whole time, like roll forward. we have all these candidates. We place them in all these different places, project managers, uh, project engineers, data center technicians, uh, design project managers. And so you get to see all these candidates go across. And you're like, oh, success. Oh, we got landed. Good job, good job. And you're like, but what was different about them? And what, what's crazy is it, it really isn't the last role. Something about coming out of service and us just choosing from that that side alone, they can go into these interviews without us and get the job, and then go off, and we don't ever talk to them. You know, like they're they're off and they're successful, and they never knew what this industry was. They didn't even know what the job was. They had to go research what is a project engineer, what is a data center technician, what is a communication technician, what is an AV designer. Like so, they fall into this, and only because all we've done. Is just you don't need to explain anything to us. We're veterans. Don't take your resume and civilianize it. I can't understand civilianize it. I understand the straight the way it is. Yeah. So do you. So there's no hey. Can someone explain this? Can you go to this group afterwards? Everybody's here is like oh yeah. He was in the Navy. He was a submarine. Okay, got this. Oh, he's an infantry guy. Like you know where he was where he was stationed. You know where he was trained. You know things about his life. The way their brains were conditioned. Like that. Boom. Oh yeah, you were in Connecticut. Oh yeah, you were on the West Coast, and you immediately have some connection with this person. So I feel like that's. That's what we're doing right there. We're just helping, we're just speaking their language and saying, hey, you can be a project manager and go build data centers. You go build hospitals. You can go support the project manager. You can go inside the data center. And we're just telling them what the options are. I'm like, hey, that's actually me. That's more what I like. Um, and they never knew about it. I think that we have to even look at trying to identify and codify this a few more, you know, you gotta peel the onion back a little bit more. Let me explain how or why is, the way that they train a submarine person is different than the way they train an infantry person. Right? Oh yeah, that's that. Yeah, I like where you're going with this. So the way they train us, we call it training. I mean, rightfully so, they view it as conditioning, right? They're conditioning our minds to think like this. Mm-hmm. They're conditioning our thought cycles to, you know, to spin like this. Um, because when we are left to our own, we tend to, it's in the tenets of our biology, we tend to allow ourselves to have a lot of negative thought cycles all the time. Everyone always thinks something is going to be worse than it really is. You get what I'm saying? But if you can take and understand the way that that person in the military was trained, then you can understand how they're, they're um, conditioned mentally to uh, deal with a kinetic situation or you know potentially fatal situation, mm-hmm. um, and you can understand what their thought cycle will look like as they run through triage or damage control scenarios mm-hmm. to solve that problem, which could include something up to and including the cost of their life. Mm-hmm. So if you take that extreme 
callousing of the brain that you get from that. Mm -hmm. And you get something like that from, you know, life in general before you graduate high school and you get other layers to that with more autonomy as an adult, mm -hmm. you know, um, in college. And we get all of that, you know, while we're active duty military, regardless of enlisted or officers, in my opinion. But if we could identify the training conditioning of the mind, the thought cycle process that these people evaluate problems on, it doesn't matter what the problem is downstream. You just have to find which vertical of industry or which job within that vertical has the most pent up demand for that strength because those people align to that well. And I would have never thought, I mean, I'm sitting here, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> listen to me and I've said this and I've almost said it, you know, in shame a few times because I spent my entire career, you know, I started as a UPS service engineer carrying a tool bag and mm -hmm. Most of those other guys that I was in the field with were former sub people or military veterans of some kind or Air Force Power Gen pros more specifically. But mm -hmm. that was just what we were identified as, someone that easily could, that what we did in the military transcends easier into success in that type of role, yeah. right? And what I learned was that infantry people make the best contractors and tradesmen. Um, one, they're used to, you know, doing the work, the, the, uh, they're doing a lot of the heavy lifting, you know, in that type of role. That's a very mm -hmm. hard, stressful job. That's really focused. I mean, all you're doing is initiating a strategy and then you fall into orbit around that strategy as there's conflict. Mm -hmm. Every project has conflict. It could be, you could be on the finance team. So conflict. There's conflict from technology uh, projects to finance projects to sales and marketing pursuits to, you know, what you have to do in operations, and understanding what you really need. You know, you know, experience used to be so valuable, but the industry evolves so much that the way we build data centers today is massively different than the way we did it a year ago. And a year from now, it's going to be even that much more different. Mm -hmm. So, what's the value of that? But what I need is that mindset. You know, that person that comes in and puts the command or the mission uh, first and they, they, you know, they're going to figure out how to solve for, they've been pressure tested. Yeah. They're expecting conflict. They're expecting triage. They're expecting some I never, sort. I never understood that. I, you, I, we discounted even knowing that until you brought it up. It was like, well, of course I'm not putting a Navy nuke in that role. Like, right. it's not, it, like when you go into a data center, and something goes wrong. I love how you said this. When something goes wrong, you don't just go, you don't lead your way out of it. You're like, where's the book? Like, where's yes. the run book? For this machine, where's that? And I never, this is the beautiful part. You're right, because in the construction world, as a construction project manager, why a combat arms person is, is, is more prepared for this is, you're right, there's no book. When you're in a firefight and things go down, no one's like, pull out AR-7-10. Yeah. What's on page 32? <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. no one's saying that. You know, at that point, we have to lead and we have to think about what is the right thing right now. Yeah. According to the situation that's happening right now, what is that situation? It's right. not what we did every other time this happened. And I never thought about that, Kirk. Until you said it, I don't know, a month or two ago, I was like, holy shit, we are just categorizing what we already know. Right. We just didn't realize that we were doing it. We were collecting on, it's uh, not a subconscious, but we just, I think that we follow the herd sometimes anyway. So it's mm -hmm. it's really getting the first the first movers or early adopters to understand that and to make those types of, to feel more comfortable, mm -hmm. um, to feel more comfortable hiring veterans. And 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 I think that if we could highlight those, those areas that we're covering right now, mm -hmm 
than what it does in the eye of those people that don't understand how to read or analyze and interpret a resume from a veteran. It What it does is it reduces or mitigates the risk that they associate with those veterans. Yep. Okay, so like I never saw infantry people. When I was a service engineer, I didn't, and I'll tell you why. Submariners are tech, technical people in the branches of the service are trained to think our our minds are conditioned and our thought cycles are around mm -hmm. um, procedures and processes and checkbooks and MOPs and SOPs and things of that nature. Yeah. So I'm going to linearly approach the problem one line at a time where combat people are very abstract, meaning they uh, take the guardrails down that typically provide some sort of resistance against industry standard or something. And they just say, <laughs> like you said, fuck that. Give me page 32 of whatever and let's figure out what the right tactic is in chess. But you're doing it in real time. So you have the ability to do certain things, which ultimately leads to a great deal of confidence, which means that when you have more confidence, you have less anxiety. And when you have less anxiety as a leader, you're more productive, meaning that you can communicate more effectively. You can give clear direction and guidance to these people that you want so that you could get a higher level of output from them, meaning a higher volume of productivity, right? So trying to figure out how to, how to categorize what those people have to where they could be successful, right? Because um, I couldn't be successful in certain things that you guys are doing, not to the level of success that you can be at because m my conditioning of my mind are the thought cycles that I've been trained on for years of my life. Imagine someone coming out like a Jesse Kendrick, a retired chief who has bulletproof discipline when it comes to attention to detail. And I mean, you remember, remember the time I called you and said, we have to hire this guy. <laughs> Do you remember why? I remember why. I was at a Snoop Dogg concert with my fan, <laughs> with my family, Tinoco and his family, and I'm rocking on a Friday night, blah, 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 blah. But I had promised him like probably arbitrarily 13 days before that, that I'd hit a specific date for something that I owed him. Uh -huh. And I missed that date. He doesn't care because his mind is conditioned and his thought cycle is we don't miss those dates. We don't miss dates, right? And I'm like, what are we best known for with what we do with our day jobs? We never miss dates, right? In a construction project, in a data center industry, yeah. I can miss a lot of things. I can miss my budget. I, I mean, sadly, I, it, it's inevitable. There's going to be uh, people getting hurt on massive construction programs, but safety is the number one mm -hmm. KPI. So I could have a setback as long as I don't have lost time. But I mean, I've sent people home in hospital, you know, in ambulances before on projects. I've even been over budget on programs before, but I've never missed schedule because that is the number one thing, right? Like mm -hmm. you just simply in this space, it's mission critical. You can't miss can't that. Miss that date. Mm -hmm. Can't miss a deadline up over and out. But guess who thinks like that? A guy like him who's technical <laughs> coming out and he's a chief, meaning those are the ones that are the robocops when it comes to make, I mean, they run the, in the Navy, the chiefs run the Navy, right? I mean, they get Fucking guidance yeah. from yeah, strategic guidance. The army run the army and they the run, run the Navy. those chiefs run the Navy. And I remember getting screamed at, he's not a screamer, but he talked with a high pitch <laughs> as a chief would. And it, Serious. it took me back to my days as like a lowly E4 getting reprimanded verbally. And I was like, yes, chief. We'll get you guys, you know, I remember calling him like, we got to hire this guy and we got to get him an offer letter immediately because someone who's a, so effective at managing up just as well as they manage down 
we have to have on the team. And not only do we need a person like that on our team, we need to surround him with people that he could teach to condition their mind and get their thought cycles to be a force multiplier to that, right? And that's what you do. You just, you hire good people and then you have them make little mini versions of themselves, you, right? You explain the secret sauce. That's that's the spark secret sauce of like, we just, we know both sides. We know the veteran side. You don't need to explain what we're doing. And we know the industry side. We've been, all of us- Not all industries, in role, just the, the one. The data center industry. We know our industry, where you should fit, what these roles are. The secret sauce is we just marry them up and we create more. And that's the perfect example of how our other companies not realize it's like, why is it, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's so walk, natural walk for us. through like, so I, I'm aware of what you're doing on the spark side. So as you said, you're the EVP for us, for our, our veteran platform and our government programs, right? Um, the veteran platform, what's the, you know, go back to the genesis of that. So people understand, again, this isn't a commercial. We started this with a very clear purpose. Oh yeah, like I think we've talked. And a lot it was about not it. for us to make money or any of those things. On it was to make a big difference, right? So explain it. We with the story we've talked about about understanding and how it's you so unique because it is not common. Like you said, you were a blind man walking around bumping into shit. Oh yeah. If you, it's people like you. If you didn't get to where you're at, you wouldn't have brought people like me along. Like, and that's the way it worked before. And we're saying fuck that. It shouldn't be once in a lifetime opportunity to just marry up with some random guy who had just been, you found the path and I was just lucky enough to chase it along. It shouldn't be that by chance. And that's why we started all this. We want to take not just one, not just two, 10, 50, 100, 1,000, 10,000 and say, hey, this is the path, man. This is it. This is why, this is what you can do. When you're done, you have these options. And it's, you know, this is what the data center industry is. So we started Overwatch because we wanted to create a pathway for veterans to be the decision makers on these sites, the leaders, the spiritual leaders on a program. And then it's only through that that we realized we're pretty good at firing, hiring veterans. Turns out you give people a mission and a purpose, you treat them with transparency, tell them what the jobs are actually like, what they could potentially make, that there are other opportunities out there, like teach them about a career. You know what? It works. And so that's why we decided let's start Operation Spark. Let's take this because as a business, the industry is only so big. Like we can only hire so many veterans for the data center industry by projects and whatnot. But to really keep up with, like you said, 2000 a day, was it? So a month? Uh, there are more than 2000 veterans that leave the active duty service per month, but there are more than 20 veterans that kill themselves every day now. So to make an impact on what that is, that when people come out and we talked about by chance, what happened if you didn't get by chance? I know I didn't have another option. Like I know the the path I was on was manageable. Was was it was going to take me five to ten more years to get where I'm at today, and that's just the honest truth of it. Had I been just like you and I had to go do the same thing, it would have taken me ten more years to be sitting right here. So, what happened when you get out and you have all the ambition? It just sucks, and you you just realize I couldn't because I didn't have that one chance. Well, um, that's the other side of getting out. The disparity, that 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 kind of deterioration of your confidence, and that leads because you start over at zero. Yeah. You start over at zero, and all of a sudden it's like you're nothing. You're you're homeless. Like you're struggling to make money to even provide for your family. Well, that's the other bad side of transition, and that some people who otherwise never have thought about this delved into a world in which they potentially take their own life. So not only can we provide a pathway for veterans before they ever get there. Before they ever go like, how am I going to provide for my family? 
No, I call Overwatch. Look, let's find a pathway. Give us three, six months before you get out. Let's not let's de-stress this transition. Let's like let's roll into it because you prepared six to nine months before you ever got there. So what we get to do here is we get to take people before they ever get there. And those that we can't help, well, that's what we do our events for. That's what we raise money for this community for. And I can't wait to talk more about Anchors of Hope and what that is for our whole organization. But for Spark, it's about creating the best way to help anyone. Is like, and there's in a bad situation, isn't charity. It's give them a job. If you could, number one, give them a job, that's the first thing we should try to do. That's the first plan of action. And that's what Spark is doing. We're going to find people to give them the same opportunity we had times, you know, like 100. You know, that, I think, though, even as we do it, at least for the next three to five years until this becomes a little bit more collective. And when I say collective, I mean there are groups out there that uh, there were a, a few top-notch companies that all they did was specialize in, on recruiting and placing nothing but veterans, right? I, I think I hired you yeah. as a candidate at Bradley Morris, right, yeah. um, years ago, and I probably, you know, Jesse could have came from there or you know, Ryan or something like that, and I've, I've hired tons of veterans using those groups. Um, there are, there are groups that are trying to do this. And we, I mean, the genesis of this program was we knew we wanted to, uh, the industry, as you said, is, is small, meaning if I'm hiring somebody with quote unquote experience right now in the industry, I'm kind of just passing around people within the industry, right? If you don't mind, I'm gonna... <laughs> that is, um, was that grape juice? It's a little parched. Yep. But, but what happened was at the same time, as we're trying to hire people and we wanted to make those people veterans, you got groups like Infrastructure Masons mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, Lee runs their military veteran stuff and we've had the opportunity, both of us have, to mm -hmm. engage with Lee on what they're doing mm -hmm. there and with what they do with the amazing stuff on Salute. You know, the genesis behind Salute was they were, they were hiring homeless veterans and giving them day jobs, right? So we were a general contractor back then and I was like, talking to Jason Oakroy and I was like, sign us up. We want to be your first customer. Right. And we did. I mean, not only did we do that, but we were calling every other general contractor we knew and said, Hey, if you need day laborers to push brooms and clean job sites in the middle of construction programs at the end of the day, mm -hmm. go hire this group because they're literally taking homeless veterans off the street, giving them a new purpose, Fucking giving them a new mission. And if we do this well, not only is it more likely that they'll reduce the suicide rate, but maybe even the, the drug abuse rate amongst that community. And it was just the right thing to do. Salute started with the right purpose, which is why they blew up. Infrastructure Masons, being what they are, you know, had such a huge influence on putting Lee out front to kind of run the, the whole veteran initiative there. There are things that are in place right now. And, and when I say the collective, I mean all these groups are gonna have to come together and find a way to amplify themselves. As good as they each are individually, they're not as good as they would be as a collective with one bigger voice, because the chorus always sings louder than the soloist, right? So you have to find a way to reach these groups. But I, having used Orion and Bradley Moore so many times, <clears throat> I think what happened was, is you know they got acquired by other shops or they just got so big to where they're like, hey, it's, I don't know, this much. It, that's the primary business for them. So they're yeah, asking yeah. for tons of money. And I was like, I'm not, I. We paid tons of money to those groups until one day I was like, it doesn't even pencil out anymore. We're recruiting so many veterans and paying so many you know, overlays on top of that. Why wouldn't we just go have our own recruiting team? 
And then the recruiting team that you put together did such an amazing job that they were finding more veterans and we could make a business case to justify hiring. So we were calling contractors and throwing them over the fence. Hey, you said you needed a PM. I saw you at that happy hour. I happened to run into a guy. He was in the Army Corps of Engineers and was a construction guy. He could learn what's going on in our industry if you give him an opportunity, right? And we were just trying to match those up. And then finally one day you're like, why don't we do a bigger thing with this? Because we could use it as another vehicle to create the opportunity to give back to nonprofits that we were are doing helping. it for free initially. We were All doing it. This was just like, hey, this is a great guy. Like, and they just kept getting hired. And they we, kept getting hired. Be project manager here, project manager there. We were doing it for free and making the donations out of our own pocket still, right? Because yeah. we wanted to help serve these communities, right? And we were solving that problem that you know Dean and the Infrastructure Masons Groups was talking about in in our industry today, and we feel it. It's the pent up to the, the existential threat is the lack of talent to support the pent up or growing demand of labor for this industry. Mm -hmm. And people are struggling to figure out where we pull people from. And you know, right now, obviously college is a great place or the trades, but the trades are stacked with thousands of, of needs right now. Oh you know, goodness. we They're talked overloaded. to Roseden needs a thousand people to grow to the rate of the demand that they have as a, as a business. So you have so much demand mm -hmm. and that's the existential threat. And then we, at the same time are like, well, there's an untapped resource pool that no one's going after. And there's 2000 of them available every month. What's stopping that flow of getting a higher volume or velocity of veterans into this industry that needs it the most. And it was the barrier of, of impact was really because of the cost of hiring veterans because a lot of these veteran-owned groups that started with the right purpose became businesses that got acquired by another parent company that, line, yeah. that was all about making as much money as they could, not making an impact on community anymore. Yeah, return to investors. Right, so we were like, well, we have a primary line of business we use and we need talent. Why wouldn't we go recruit for us and then find other people too? and and I think that it's been able to help in, I mean, you guys have changed a lot of lives, even in the campaign with Anchors of Hope, which mm -hmm. maybe now is the right time to transition to that. But the whole genesis is to help reduce the suicide rate amongst veterans. The best way to do that is to give them a new mission, a new purpose, yeah. and a new tribe, right? Because people that join the military don't join the military to make money. They, no. they join the military to make a difference. And when they come out of the military, they want to continue to make a difference. And we have to find a role for them in which they feel significant again. I mean, as an E4 in the Navy, I was driving a submarine. That's a multi-billion dollar platform. And I was a very young man, you know, and and that was significant, right? So when I came out of the military, I was I wanted to be significant or do something that was significant. I was lucky. I mean, I think what I was trying to say earlier and, and lost my train was, you have a unique story where it's like, man, how lucky was I to happen to have these resources or mentors that really helps tell you they laid out a breadcrumb path for you to follow to get to where you're at. I had something like that too. I had a very lucky encounter on an airplane where I happened to be sitting next to an Orion guy who was a recruiter when he was on an officer on a submarine. So we <laughs> we couldn't have connected any better, right? And and. It, that guy changed, I mean, that opportunity with Orion changed my entire, if it wasn't for Orion, I wouldn't even be in this space. Maybe not. Taking you longer. 
Right, and and it would have been a different thing. But Orion was a military recruiting firm that was really trying to help transition veterans. Mm-hmm. Um, it was perfect. I think that like as we roll this out for the next three to five years, it's still going to be. Um, it's not a mainstream initiative that has enough momentum behind it. So it's still going to be um, very random and sporadic. So there's still going to be several stories of a guy that knew a guy or a sailor or a girl that knew a girl or whatever you want to call it. It's going to be because of the unique one-off connections where someone just happened to know somebody that happened to be related to somebody. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be the the thing until the, the light is bright enough to really attract everything towards it from the veteran community we haven't we haven't found that yet no not yet i want to help create it right and i think there's there's companies out there that would make that a business you know for us it's just part of our purpose right so this purpose of creating spark was to reduce the suicide rate amongst veterans turns out it pencils out well because you've figured out a way to create a team that does it way more economically efficient than everybody else but just as efficient from an execution perspective right so anchors of hope tell us tell us what that is it's crazy just how things worked this is crazy how you really actually to be super successful need to know both sides that's the secret of like how you can recruit like a motherfucker you have to know this industry i'm on a job site most days like i know exactly that personality i've I've certainly seen what's successful in these roles and not and i bet you that you have it um broken into two pretty wide categories still that need to be refined but if I asked you, I mean, uh, one of our biggest clients is Databank, right? Yeah, great. Databank group. has been exceptional, and they are so I, they are incredibly committed to helping reduce the suicide rate amongst the veteran communities, and they believe in this purpose, right? Yeah. And when they ask for people, your your strike zone for them isn't infantry people, probably, right? I mean, you're looking for data center operator type people. And that comes more from like, uh, maybe it is a submarine background, I don't know, but you're at least, the net is getting smaller towards what you're trying to get because we're seeing these trends. I mean, half our clients are contractors, right? But you kind of already know that, why do you why do you look more for that type of rate or MOS? And it's again, because you know how their thought cycles are yeah. because you know the way they were conditioned and the way that they were trained, right? So you're kind of already really lumping in big categories now. Now it's about kind of breaking that into yeah. a tighter, tighter. I think is an amazing group to, to use as an example too. Sure. Because we, we talked about earlier about helping the suicide rate. A lot of people are afraid to address that. And they're like, well, we don't want to potentially hire a lot of suicidal people. And it's like, no, it's not, that's not what we're saying. Get the, get the trend that when you come out, there's a pathway that if you're willing to serve this country, you're not going to get left at the end. Like there's a pathway after that. So establishing that trend is what we're talking about. So there is a pathway. And so we're continually providing this. Yeah. And um, what I like about what we're, we're doing with them is they've, they've adopted the, the, the view of some of our roles. We truly want a transitioning veteran. We want someone who doesn't have the experience, who's going to take a new look on what we're doing. And so what we love about DataBank is they're actually creating a pathway from active duty into their data centers. You may not want to be a data center technician forever. So there's roles after that. There's managed services engineer. There's opportunities in construction. There's opportunities in accounting and security. Project so finance, this yeah. is This is the start. And databank is creating that where if you want to go learn about the data industry and go straight from active duty into it with no civilian requirements, there could be an opportunity. 
Now, there's opportunities for folks who've already transitioned. Maybe you've already become a data center technician, or you've already started to be a construction project manager. Well, they're also interested in that, but not entry level. You know, they're going to respect this brings um, skill and civilian industry talent into the company. It's a big thing. I think, um, I don't know if I've seen a, a data center operator yet more committed to than data, data bank on what they're doing. I mean, if you're a soldier, sailor, or airman right now, and you're sitting on some military base listening to this podcast, Google them, right? They're one of the biggest data center providers in the world, but they also have a massive commitment to what we're trying to do in the in the veteran community. And I remember like when I first, when we first launched Overwatch, um, the very first thing that I spoke at was um, a summit that I think it was in Dallas, probably DCD or something. And and we were, um, I was on a panel with like Jose at Equinix and a couple of the guys from Salute and there was a couple other veterans on the panel and uh, Dave McCall of QTS, awesome guy, um, army veteran, right? Army guy, okay. Fellow bullet sponge like you. <laughs> and um, I remember, you know, I, we we're all taking questions and I think Dave asked me, he's like, Kirk, what do you do um, about all these transitioning veterans coming out of the military that have PTSD, right? And uh, knowing that my two big, you know, my two partners, we started Overwatch together, you, me and Jesse, two army infantry guys and a Navy submariner. And again, if you look at it on a profile and take those things away, you could talk about the way our, our minds are conditioned and the way our thought cycles are different based on the way I described what we did in the military, mm -hmm. right? But he's like, uh, what do you do about these people coming out? Knowing that infantry people have the highest rate of PTSD, mm -hmm. right? Not, I mean, you don't have to be in the military to have PTSD. Yeah, you definitely not have to be infantry. But you, your, your community tends to have the highest rate of, of anxiety and PTSD. And I bet, the, I don't know what the most current metrics are, but the last set I saw was infantry people had the highest suicide rate. So what do you do when you're starting a new business and you have your two business partners or infantrymen, both very seasoned combat veterans, right? And Dave's first question to me on like the first week that we started this in my first panel I ever was on was, what do you do about all these guys that have PTSD? And I just said, hey, it's simple. I try to provide a safe environment for them so that they don't ever um, feel triggered with anything. And, and I mean, I think that's the only advice I could give to any other company that's listening that's hiring veterans is recognize that they deal with conflict in the most extreme ways that conflict is even possible. But if you give them an environment which they know that their command backs them, right? Like, you know that your your platoon officer was backing you or your division commander or whatever you had, you knew that you were being supported from the chief level up. And as long as they feel safe in that, not because of the threats, you know, the physical threats, but like the political threats, there's they're going to thrive, right? And I remember that's kind of the way I try to explain it to that that audience. And I've thought about that question every day since because I'm like, what do I do to create an environment to where people that have PTSD feel safe? And it's not so I could just find a way to find a higher level of productivity out of you. I genuinely feel like there's a lot of veterans that struggle and they don't even talk about it. And we there's people that harm themselves and no one even knew that they were struggling, right? So if we could, again, break it down to understanding how to look at the various thought cycles and thought patterns based on the way people are conditioned, you could really identify. It makes it easier to identify something that they could be successful at and be significant at, mm -hmm. right? And 
when we first started really dialing in Spark, you were like, we need a, we need, we need a, a, a like a, not a kickstart campaign, but we needed something to make a splash. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's where Anchors of Hope came. And Anchors of Hope was a 97 day campaign. When did we start it? Yeah, June 6th. Which was the 78th anniversary of D-Day, yeah. All right, so it was the 70th anniversary of D-Day and it ran through? Patriot's Day. And so we concluded it on Sunday. Um, you know, it's, it was one of the neatest things to be able to go out and tell people about what we tr why we do this. Not like, hey, we recruit veterans. Anchors of Hope is why we started a company. Wanting to make a real impact. So we got to contact companies across this entire campaign and tell them, hey, we have an opportunity in which we're going to be very competitive with our pricing because we want you to take acknowledge what the larger goal is here. We're going to give you everything. We're not just a recruiter who flips people over to you. We're white glove service. Whatever you need, whatever your process is, that's our process. You need something delivered in a certain way. You need to check in on people. You need to coordinate things. Hey, we're infantry guys, not recruiters. So we don't look at this as this is the way it's always done. We look at what is the most effective way to do things. Because right I can now. die. Yeah. And so that's a I just, it, I, it's making me think of something you mentioned earlier about PTSD. And one of the things that a lot of folks don't realize about PTSD is that once you do what you said, which is you solve that mission and purpose, that comfort of like, hey, these people are not against me. These people are trying to look out for me. PTSD no longer becomes those threats. And sometimes it can, it can transpire itself in ways you don't realize. And that, so for me personally, it's very hard for me to delegate some tasks that I view as important because at one time I did. And I almost, a lot of people almost lost their lives because I couldn't do what I needed to do because I delegated that to someone who didn't do it right. And so when I needed to communicate, when I needed to coordinate fire in a way that was effective, my radio did not work. And I did not know how to program that. And so it has made this tick about me in which there's a reason I can take on a lot of things myself. Cause it's like, but what if I delegate this one? And that's the one that takes me down. What about this one? So instead of delegating, I just bring it all in and then I just figure it out just like I always did. So what is PTSD? Well, it's up to, it's you that helps me get out of that and realize it's safe. Like you're not gonna, you're not gonna kill anyone if you, if you delegate this. You help me feel that safe, but that's what PTSD is. Like it's not, I'm this crazy person. It's just like it develops in ticks that make us super effective. And sometimes it's not always obvious why. And it's like, oh, that's how we address it. So I think one of the most amazing things you can explain is just like our partner, Jesse Sargent, like his approach to things isn't because he, he knows the consequences are real. He understands that if someone were to guide him wrong, it could lead to his death. So for him, it's, that's the reason he's, I, and it's like, that's what, that's why he's so great at what he's he, doing. He's exceptional. And he's using PTSD in a way that none of us even realize that we do because our ticks aren't what you think, you know, from an employer perspective, it's actually not what you think. We just take hyper focus on things and some people don't understand why. And so that's a PTSD thing. It's not something to be afraid of. I like think if it, you knew that was what it was, would you be like, Oh no, it's so bad. <laughs> I think that when people hear the word PTSD, it's almost, um, I think that we absorb it as something that could be negative, right? Because it is, it's, I mean, it's what a lot of people um, that do harm themselves, it, it all stems all the way back to PTSD. So when people say PTSD, everyone, you know, is like, oh, if this person is a higher likelihood of that, then they're a higher risk. The reality is, is people like you and people like 
Jesse have weaponized PTSD. <laughs> like, yeah. and I'll tell you again, and I look at everybody as I engage with them based on the way that their mind is conditioned. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we had a leadership summit this weekend and Stock and I are yelling <laughs> profanities at each other and screaming at each other at the top of the lung. <laughs> I do those things with him because he's conditioned for friction and it, it allows him to know that he's safe. He can friction back with me and he's never gonna be at risk. But everybody, again, a civilian, I'm not saying he has PTSD, but I think every professional that's in corporate America has PTSD at some <laughs> point. We've all yeah. worked for a tyrant. You know, there's a, a, a manager or a supervisor, director or boss that we've had that has just not been a good person. We learned just as much as from those ones as we do the good ones we have. But, you know, I, I remember um, telling Shep, we were at Aligned Energy and we were, just growing in ways that we couldn't keep up with it felt like some days right and chap i think always felt like i was maybe a little cocky or arrogant and and i think it's because he was waiting to see me you know um respond in a way because of the amount of pressure and friction we were under and some people respond to that differently right and jesse's jesse's actually um really conditioned from his you know many deployments of combat to where his mind is almost conditioned to where he operates better if you're throwing grenades at him you know what i'm saying <laughs> like he is got he's at his best so he knows that timeline he's like that date is fucking life like the the, the more critical it is the the better he's at operating that and when it's not crazy he uh, he's almost like in a holding pattern, not sure what to do. Sometimes someone hit me. Right, like <laughs> someone's too calm. <laughs> I don't like. Yeah, he gets bored real fast. You know what I'm saying? And again, that goes back to all of us having you know OCD and ADHD and all the other fun. I don't know, but I mean, it, it's the way that we're conditioned. The military is training you to be ready to ramp up and ramp down at such a highly vault. I mean, the cyclical rate that we ramp at and rotate and pivot towards all the time. Most of our civilian counterparts have a hard time understanding how we could do that and not be psychotic or bipolar or crazy or some shit, right? And you're like, no, he found a way to weaponize his PTSD. He thrives with that, you know, the ice in the vein thing. So I, and I tried to always tell Andrew how that pencils out more economically efficiently too as a business. Like, why does that help me? Like, mm -hmm. why do I want that? And you're like, well, um, I think that if you take, um, if you take a veteran and you have someone that can endure the craziest of stuff, you're not gonna have so many whipsaw rotations that ultimately lead to um, purchasing decisions or some something that really exposes you yeah, on you a financial- You can't excite that person, not, not normally. Yeah, yeah, and I I don't know, I, I also would say this, listen, you know that this person that you're gonna hire, mm -hmm. they didn't join the military to make money. So there's a good chance they didn't get out of the military just to make money. They're getting out of the military to do the same thing they got in the military to do, and that was to make a difference, right? And if you find somebody that wants to make a difference, then you're not sitting around. I'm not saying you can um, allow them to suffer an inconvenience on how much they could earn, mm -hmm. but you know that they're not just horse trading and trying to go to the highest bidder. They're not just, they're the ones that aren't going to be swayed by money. They're going to be spirit. They're going to be swayed by what inspires them, what allows them to feel safe in that environment and allows them to be fulfilled by what they do, right? So, so they're not, they're not money driven. They're not coin operated. So they're not just going to the highest bidder, which means you don't have to 
Go out and throw the highest wad of money at somebody. That's not the sell. All you yeah. have to do is give them a better quality of life and a better culture, a better environment to thrive in, and they'll suffer that inconvenience of what they could potentially be earning somewhere else if they are willing to sacrifice that fulfillment in life to get that money. Mm -hmm. Do you get it? So I'm like, of course, if you're going to people that have a more purpose for why they're there and that purpose isn't money, then you won't ever have to pay the massive premiums you do to take the risks to hire a, an all-star that performed amazing at the last company, but for some reason just can't bat the same at this team, you know? So mm -hmm. why take that risk when you can mitigate that risk? It pencils out better to hire a veteran that is really looking for a culture and purpose. And if you could provide that, I mean, I'm a great example. Mm -hmm. I went to all of you guys and said, how would you like to make a fraction of the amount of money you make right now? You were making way more money. Would you money. like to take a 50% pay cut? I, I think that you probably thought I was joking when I was like, you were an Oracle at the time. I was like, hey, we're going to put the band back together. How would you like to make half as much as you make right now? Doesn't that sound awesome? But you know, the good news is you get to work twice as much. So, but honestly. It took me seven seconds. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Veterans aren't wired to like, I mean, yeah, we want to be comfortable and we want to get paid proportion to what our value is, but it's, I'm not out there like free trading like an agent all the time just to see if I get a little bit. We want a purpose and we want to work in an environment Fucking where we've. Mission, purpose and mission. Undervalued so much. Oh, and you, it, yeah, it's hard it to hits, explain. but it hits the bottom line to a business that realizes that not only are you finding someone that doesn't cost as much, but they're not going to whipsaw as hard and a panic. Mm -hmm. make a bad decision that goes into your pocket as a business. See, that's why it's good you come in and say shit like this. Because I think when you get in the day-to-day -day grind of recruiting and you're trying to like be efficient, try to do things, you forget that it's not about the money for this candidate. Although they may be saying, I need to make this, I need to make this. You need, We need to be, that's what our value is, is saying, I know you want four more dollars to take this role, but they're going to provide training programs. Sure. They're going to give you this certification. And or you have the room to grow. Like yeah, there's a possibility for you to go up. This one, it's not there, man. This is not what it is. It's In two years from now, we'll find you another job. Yeah, right. it's like we're here for you, but we have to tell them. We can't just say, oh, quick fill, got it. He wants to take the role, take it. It's like, hey, before you take this, before you think this is what you want, I think you have more to offer. And this is what I think you should do. And that's the part that we need you to come in and say like, hey, watch out. I know we're in the grind of recruiting and we're in the grind of producing, but it's a mission here. And it's huge because it, it, they don't even know it. I didn't know it. I was more focused on like, I need to take care of my family, which means I need to make more money because that's what happens when you leave the army. You need to go make more money so you can take care of it because now I have... You're, you're not base housing now. You have, yeah. yeah you gotta... You're not thinking about how to go and be the next career path. Right. And so that's ultimately what we're trying to chart here. I love, uh, I mean... Obviously, like I said, we did this because we were trying to recruit people for ourselves and then we end up getting good enough at it to recruit more than we needed. Skyler. So. Skyler is like the perfect example of like, he wouldn't get the job if he applied to those companies. Never would have. And now he's- And they would have been like, oh yeah, he doesn't have experience doing this. It's like, you guys just don't know. These are secret weapons here. Like hey, these listen. are crucial members. 1000%. And like, again, Skyler's the perfect example of a guy that- if he, there's no way to have translated his resume no. into what we, what he does today. I was battlefield promoted. <laughs> I was, you know, in firefights day in, day out. I led men in the most ex extraneous situations, but my job was to close the distance with the enemy. His job was to lead and deal with conflict 
and lead people through conflict. What is the primary purpose of a PM? And that is to deal with conflict and lead people through conflict. And they marry so well. He he had he had that that battle tested experience to where we just needed to marry an opportunity. We took the risk of bringing on a guy that um, on a piece of paper would not have been close. He wouldn't, I mean, and as they say in Texas, he would have missed it by a country mile, <laughs> right? But we knew that his character and the way that he was mentally conditioned and the way that his thought cycles work lends itself perfectly to this because now he's in a highly kinetic environment where the pressure on the programs and the data center industry really are, you know, safety, schedule, budget. But let me tell you, man, safety, I mean, get, get, safety is never going to not be number one, but that schedule, that could kill a company if you miss a schedule, right? Millions. So so he shows up and he's like, let's do this. All chilled <laughs> out. And you're like, how no are the adrenaline glands? No one's shooting at me? Not fully <laughs> throttled right now. He's like, uh, no one's shooting at me today. <laughs> None of my friends got, you know, just it's perspective, right? Oh, and when he comes in, he's not the type of guy that looks at anything and says, I have to do this. Mm -hmm. He came in hungry and he's like, I get to do this. And that the optics in which he views that through because of the way that you guys were conditioned is it was just the perfect fit. And we were learning that. And now we obviously like now we picked a Maggio after, I mean, we will keep collecting these bullet sponges because in the kinetic environment, they're exceptional. And then we'll keep collecting the other people that really, lend their background and the way that they were conditioned and the way they were trained is going to allow them to be more successful on the operations side, right? Yeah. So there's data center. Someone's got to build it. Someone's got to operate it. And either way, there's people that do that, that have been conditioned and trained. They don't have anything on a piece of paper that looks like they have experience in low voltage structure cabling or it's all conflict. Yeah. It doesn't matter what it is. Everything that we're doing to execute on is going to have, um, some sort of friction mm -hmm. and that friction is going to need to be dealt with with someone who has the right temperate you know uh emotional maturity and discipline and then they're going to have to figure out how to navigate and lead and that's what the military does exceptionally uh well with the infantry types right i mean there's 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 strengths and blind spots to everything that we're trained on but you totally. know but but i think that that's what um skyler that's why skyler embodies it like, yeah. That's why when we think about, oh, we would do this and we talk about how, why it makes sense to us. But when you look at what we've done, we put our fucking money where our mouth is. And it's like we hire people at risk. We train them and then they grow and fucking take on programs all by themselves. Uh, it's imp it's impressive. I'm so proud of them. The it only happens and happen like this keeps happening. Like that's so if we can do it, you know, Anybody let's, can. Fi let's find you some people <laughs> and you can do the same thing. Like it's. It's I, really not that hard. I will say this, though. Like us. I have learned, though, the infantry guys have a blind spot. As an example, I thought Skyler was exceptional <laughs> until I saw Jesse. <laughs> and I was like, Skyler was Jesse's squad leader. <laughs> like, he failed miserably. I mean, have you seen <laughs> Jesse? He's a hot mess, right? <laughs> but shifting to taking that focus, we knew that we had the right purpose, the right mission. And then you were trying to make this the most economically efficient recruiting veteran recruiting model period. Right. And, and we, fortunately for us, we don't, that's not the primary line yeah. of business. We use to generate revenue. That was a cost center, quite frankly, to us that we found that could benefit others and benefit the community, the industry 
and most importantly, the veterans. And and then we just wanted to make sure that we launched it and put it on the map. And with the Anchors of Hope campaign that you guys did, you guys really, I mean, we grew, how many more people did you have to add to your team throughout that? Plus, oh, yeah. how, how much of the industry started really leaning in hard? I was, like when you told me that like, hey, databank is like almost, I mean, they were in, it seemed like competition to beat the number two and the number three group. For, Anchors of Hope was a competition for 97 days, but there are awards and there's charities. And I mean, take us through all of that stuff because I didn't even know any, I mean, you're just rocking this. And I was like, how did you even come to these nonprofits? You know, I mean, this is awesome mm -hmm. because the DCAC Live Conference, in, you know, in a couple of weeks here in Austin, Texas is, you know, every year we do a charity golf event for a veteran foundation. Last year was four season fighters. This year it's one tribe, which was formerly 22 kill. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and we do that as our biggest contribution back to the 501c3s. That, yeah, that's a big dollar. That's a big check. Yeah, and, but now on the, on the Overwatch side, right, with the Anchors of Hope thing, being able to really jump that through, you guys patched together some really cool stuff on that. And I was learning about it as, as you were rolling it out in development with your team. But take us through some of the highlights of that. And let other people know about it because I'm, you know, we're going to do it every year, yeah, it's, right? Well, it's, it's crazy because you're like, we put together this team, we put together these efficiencies, and it's like, it's crazy. I'm an army guy, I'm infantry, but I am successful because of Navy chiefs. <laughs> you know, so like when I think Take about my OGs, I was like, well, you know what? They are Navy. They're not infantry guys. So, so I'll, I'll say even it's, a lot of Navy guys can deal with chaos just the same. It doesn't have to be process related. And these two guys are an example. Like, I'll take you back to one of our OGs, and that's Jesse Kendrick. And it's someone that oh, yeah. was in active duty, had every opportunity in the world to go anywhere he wants. He saw someone, and it goes back to what you were saying earlier, he saw mission and purpose. And he was like, that's, that's what I want. I'm not chasing the paycheck. I'm chasing mission and purpose. And it took me years to find my mission and purpose company. Man, and that was, we had to do it our goddamn selves. Yeah. So when I see someone like that, that was like, yeah, this makes sense. I'll bet my career, I'll bet my post-military career on you guys. So he was our longest running, uh, I guess we kind of created our own skill bridge program at the time. Yeah. And we just grassroots it. And so having someone early on who trusts us, who sees this, is like a little inspiring to think, keep pushing. Like keep pushing because this person who has no idea what private life is like, is like, this makes sense. Like <laughs> I don't know much, but this makes sense outside what I'm going to bet my post-career on. And so we start you know, simple, you know, tr trying to recruit across the country, doing all kinds of mistakes in the, that, again, it's not about the dollar amount. It's not, it's about mission and purpose. You can't tell a person, oh, the benefits, all this, all that, you're going to get a certain type of candidate. Our candidates don't apply to that. So what we've done over the years is we found people that truly want to do this from a mission perspective. Yeah, it's their mission. It's their purpose. Like, this makes them happy. Like placing people, like getting them over that opportunity, it, it gets out of that. They're fulfilled with that, yeah. So it's like we go from, all right, we're starting to place a director here, assistant project manager here, to we get a big player entry. We get a data bank. We get a group like IES who say, hey, we believe in your mission too. Yeah. We believe in your mission that we want you to recruit for us everywhere. And so what did that take? What have we done in that time? It started what was me as a one-man band trying to recruit, place, and source all these things at once. And we have support staff, that support staff grows. 
And what are we at? Let's see. We Seven, with, eight people at least. Albert Armijo, a guy I met at Oracle, former veteran. He came along. We have Jesse Kendrick, a Navy guy, two Navy guys in a row. Then I hire finally get an Army guy and Daniel Gonzalez, someone who served uh. in the infantry. And then we got our hotshot Diego Martinez, who's coming up, who's going to be in a, who's going to be a veteran one day. I look forward to see him flying. Do you think he's qualified for the infantry? Let's let him. Be. He's, he's got <laughs> he's, he's got the he's, pilot thing now. <laughs> oh man! But who knows? Who knows? Maybe he's going to be an infantryman. Right. And then what's crazy is then we were able to bring up a guy that was introduced to us by our first hire, Chad Morgan. Oh wow! First first placement with our, one of our partners, Chad Morgan, says, "Hey, this guy, Keen Coleman." He's not my job, but he is awesome. Is that the guy that you called me about the other day? Yeah, Keen. I said, we got to hire him. We yeah. got to hire him. He is just, honestly, he makes me feel like a bitch sometimes. Because, like, he's working out every morning. He's up there, like, five days. Hey, sorry, guys. I just, I got a little late from my morning workout. I'm just like, fuck, I'm trying to, like, figure the time to work out. <laughs> and so it reminds you that when you come out, you got fire in you. What branch was he? Was he on? Navy. Navy. Yeah, that I'm makes telling sense. you, I got a whole it all adds Navy up. staff. It all adds up. Yeah. Well, so, you want it to work right, right? I yeah. Mean, so Keen Coleman just comes in on the East Coast, and he's going to just, he brings so much energy to the team. And now we get to do something crazy in which we get to bring someone who knows is not a veteran, but embodies the spirit and the values. Dakota is just, he's got energy. Yeah, he's an example great. that you can take college kids. You can take college kids with the right amount of experience and they can come in and have fire too. They just need, you know, this community to roll into and be like, oh, this is the way it is. Everyone works like this. Everyone gets excited when they come in. I'm going to have, uh, I'm going to have Jesse on to talk about the uh, data center apprentice program, right? We have the Ovita program, which is Overwatch. Data center apprentice is fucking awesome. Yeah. I mean, like, it's like a page out of the playbook of the trades, right? I mean, um, it makes so much sense. Why create the whole goddamn structure when they, they did it right? We just need it for ours. Yeah. And, and, and there's really no, I haven't seen any, I haven't seen like a standard. I mean, I guess if you work for an MEP firm or an any shop, then yeah, everyone's an engineering undergrad. But yeah. I have seen people in this industry that have their, their degrees in school had zero to do with what they do for a living. Mm -hmm. And, um, it just tells you that people that are in this industry are in this reason they're in this industry for their passion, right? And their interest. Like I am interested in that. Right. Those are the same people that are brave enough to be high schoolers, young, you know, uh, I guess, um, not adolescent. Um, they're, they haven't experienced enough in life to experience life yet. Mm -hmm. And they join the military and they are on that threshold trying to figure out what they want to pick to do for the next four to five years of their life plus um, based on their passion only, mm -hmm. not on any experience, right? Because nothing yeah. in the military that you, there's not a rate that you can just walk into. Even as a cook, you can't even, you have to be trained for any branch of service for whatever that role is. And these are people that are making those decisions based on their passion. And they're not doing it to make money. They're doing it to make a difference. And then when they leave, they're going to pick what they want to do again based on their passion. And then they're not going to do it based on money. They're going to do it based on um, what is the most fulfilling to them, right? What gives them purpose. So if you could find those things, right, you realize you just it keeps replicating beyond that. And we just have to find these people that want to follow their passion. But if you're not we needed another vehicle that wasn't the military and we needed to be able to find something for these young college graduates that are coming out like Kuvala or like, um, like Dakota. Right. Mm -hmm. And when we hire these guys, they know they want to be in this industry because it's their purpose or passion. They just know that this is what they want to do, but they just don't know what they want to do yet. <laughs> right. So 
why not create an apprenticeship that allows them to see operations or finance or sales and marketing or whatever veterans yeah. and, uh, and then pick. And then that makes you, you know, your journeyman. And then you spend time becoming great at that until you're a master at it and on our ranks. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of the same vehicle. Cause like I said, we started this, um, to make a difference in the veteran community while being able to really make a positive impact on the mission critical vertical as a whole by addressing that existential yeah, we threat. we saw that threat and it was like, let's just do it with veterans. What, I mean, why not? I am did a great job of exposing that there was a fucking talent shortage that's coming. And all we said was, hey guys, we know some people. Like, they're, yeah. they're, they're here every week. A couple thousand of yeah. them every week, I right? Like, Don't worry, I, we got this. And it's amazing because if you're a business, and you know that you don't have to start hiring talented people that have been pressure tested in the most extreme ways and you don't have to pay them as much as the people that have been in the industry long enough to know that they could demand a lot because there is a, a pent up demand for labor in this space. And what people used to get paid to do their job, you know, five years ago, they the premium on that is much higher now because there's less people that can do it, right? And now we could resaturate the industry with people that could rebalance the industry to make everything more economic, efficient. Everyone's, they're making more money than they probably made in the military and it's enough to make them happy. They're not going to the highest bidder. The companies aren't paying as much and now we're introducing new talent, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think that the groups that, it's stunning the companies that hit it hardest, you know, and, and I think Maybe to us, it was a big surprise to see the data center operators lean in more, right? Mm -hmm. But we know there's staff augmentation companies that are always hiring, you know, Navy nukes. There's Navy nukes at every data center. Oh, yeah. Um, not as many infantry. No. <laughs> but you can't attack that machine when it acts up. You're actually supposed to go find what we're supposed to well, do. I take that back. Every, complex. Da every data complex. center has a janitor. I'm just saying there's probably infantry <laughs> everywhere. I, uh, I think that, you know, it was awesome to see databank uh you know could just rise or emerge from something mm -hmm. into just super buying in and then being able to find the value to them and then i think they the thing that was most comforting to us because it wasn't a function of economics it was that they wanted to invest in their futures and these veterans now you get to look at these veterans and be like these are people that are going to give you opportunities to grow yeah you know, and some people don't have that. Some people are, I mean, people are cattle, some companies, right? So it's like, you're a piece of the cog. Mm -hmm. And if that piece isn't working, then we replace that piece, yeah. you know? And now they're like, no, man, we, there are tons of veterans there. There's a lot of veterans in the industry. So we have each other looking out for each other because yeah. we are our brother and sister's keeper, right? So we have to block and tackle and make room for these other people. And ideally it's to provide a roadmap for them that we didn't have, right? Is there... um is there anything I know that I asked you the other day and you refused to explain to me who won Anchors of Hope? But... <laughs> well, I'm going to give you the answer. I mean, just like little neck and neck right now. I mean, we have two amazing partners who have like really trying to like do everything they can to support our mission. And I would say once the team cleans up the numbers tomorrow, it's going to be either or. It's going to be, Ooh. An, it's, it, it was a, a, one group had a surprise surge at the end. And I'm like, a dark horse at the end. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, they, they're all starting. So now it's just a matter of uh, administrative <laughs> checked of like, all right, guys did. So like, yeah. Tell, well, so this is, um, 
If you're not gonna, I tell can me. short list. I can no, short- no, no, you're good. Well, you're- I'm like literally. I mean, man, goodness, they did a good job pushing it at the end, but they're either gonna get over the finish line or they sadly sat in second. So, so then take me to um, really the most exciting part of Anchors of Hope. Uh, obviously, hiring veterans and getting a bigger volume of veterans pushed through. What you really did was you just lowered the rate to very, very low rates just to try to accelerate more veterans into the yeah. space. See why we matter. But we did that. Knowing that we were at the same time, you guys were out trying to find more nonprofits. Oh man, that's right. That's been great. So yeah, tell me, uh, tell me who they are again. I don't know. If yeah, I, yeah. So I know C four is on there because I know C four Foundation is is fantastic. Well, which is so great about the other side of what we do, we get to help veterans coming out, show them opportunities, but then we can't help everybody. We can't everyone get a job. We can't catch them all, and some people fall in the situation that just sucks, man. Like. The job didn't work out. You were fucking doing amazing things in the military and just you didn't meet one of us and you had a bad path. And whatever it is, sometimes it doesn't work out. So what we said was we're going to support everybody. And one of them in particular is C4 Foundation. And if you think about what our special operations community has to go through, like I'm an infantry guy. I can say, hey, I'm tip of the spear. I do all this shit. It's tough. But I don't deploy for 300 days out of the year, even when there's not a war going on. These guys are gone like 90% of their time. They have the highest divorce rates, some of the highest suicide rates. They have a lot of, because they're gone all the time. It doesn't take a war. They're always gone. So C4 Foundation is acknowledging that. Those groups put their lives on the line every day, and there's some good people running the organization trying to make a real impact to that community. And that's the C4 Foundation that, I mean, do you want to talk a little more? about? I, I know them because of you, and I'm, I'm thankful that I got, I got to better understanding of being able to go to that dinner. When was that? Uh, that was like we had just started as a business. I think it was uh, Jesse and I were the only first two employees, and then you were the uh, you were probably third. You were yeah, still I, working I at Oracle. Said, You're like, let's see if you guys even have your <laughs> shit together. Will we exist in two months? <laughs> yeah. You're like I think you know I think maybe, was your missus pregnant or something? You're like I'm not taking that risk right now. You guys are morons. So we uh, it was literally just the three of us because I remember having marketing shirts made for three people, right? And uh, we. It was a, a red event. Rob Sarver, whose dad uh, flew B-52s with my dad, and Rob and I grew up with each other. He's um, Navy Academy grad, Wharton MBA, but he, he was with SEAL Team 3 for years and worked with Jocko and Leif and those guys, I guess. And the beauty is, is Rob introduced us to, he introduced me years ago mm-hmm. to this amazing guy named Charles Keating IV. Okay. And Charles uh, came out to Austin when uh, I had a nonprofit when I got cancer and um, you know while laying in my hospital bed at MD Anderson I was like oh I was I mean they were getting in between surgeries the the path forward was to remove my leg so at the time one of my old chiefs in the Navy uh, Rob Reed who um, looked like Stone Cold Steve Austin right this guy was I mean he still is a savage of a man Mm -hmm. he uh the beauty about chiefs is they don't like have a lot of tolerance for like your pity parties, right? So he, I remember he's like, listen, bitch, so pick a marathon that we're gonna go run. You know, that was his way of dealing with my, I can't believe I'm not gonna have a leg. He's like, settle down, Alice, let's figure this out. And um, next thing you know, I'm doing, you know, I'm laying in my hospital bed at MD Anderson negotiating with doctors to keep my leg because I, you know, and I wanna go do these things and an Iron Man is one of them. and. And I was doing tons of triathlons for the nonprofit. You know, we were raising money to get back to MD Anderson. And Rob um, 
Rob had graduated. He was a SEAL by then, and and uh, he was a platoon commander, I think. And he brought you know several members of his platoon out, and and we were doing races all over the country. I did the Super SEAL in Coronado with um, amazing race, by the way. It was so much fun. But I was racing between there, and I was doing you know the Nations Try in DC for TNT or Team and Training or leukemia. Yeah. Um, there was always a, a purpose and as a cancer person, I was always doing those races for cancer. And then when I turned the page on my chapter in life with the cancer stuff, Rob and I always remained friends and, and, and I was still doing races and, and Charlie came out and raced, mm -hmm. you know, so I had a chance to meet him multiple times. I mean, I think I probably have pictures with my daughter and my kids, you know, being bounced off his knee type of thing. Awesome guy. I got to have a lot of fun with Charlie multiple times. Just an amazing dude. And, he uh he he fell in combat uh, was awarded the navy cross is just a legend amongst the seal community and just an amazing person in general so when rob was like hey right we just started and i was trying to get rob to come work for mm -hmm. us remember and um he goes i'm coming to austin and there's uh the charles keating foundation is you know hosting this thing at this house and you should come i think they're gonna have some music there mm -hmm. and it was pat green <laughs> remember <laughs> i think they, there may be a little music yeah, i don't know yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I just know what you know. But he's like, it's this house over here, and mm -hmm. that house is like the most epic home that you've seen in Austin. Like Travis. Oh yeah, it was just a sick, <laughs> sick thing. But um, since then, you know, we've done, you know, we've we have done small things on the outside individually to help mm -hmm. contribute to the C Four Foundation. And I mean, I buy shirts and hand them out to people all the time. I, um, but I met the father. I met. Charles Keating the third and he's just an amazing guy too and um when we were doing things you guys were throwing around names and someone said hey this is of the list of 10 that we're looking at this is one of them and I was like we have to do them because I knew them and I met them and it's obviously much more personal now mm -hmm. I forgot that I, I'm ashamed that I didn't have them on the list first you know I mm -hmm. should have remembered them first but now they'll be someone that we always contribute to right yeah. because it hits close to home because i personally had a relationship with charles before he passed but um true american hero amazing person so so cool to be a part of giving back i get to help the veterans coming out of the military and with those funds i get to go help these nonprofits mm -hmm. that could really benefit a lot of other veterans that are trying to solve the same problem that we are right reducing the suicide rate so how is that not amazing how you could create an entity that's not a nonprofit that allows us to still support and build that bridge while supporting yeah. the growth of the industry in itself? You start wondering, like, nobody else knows us? <laughs> like, you could, you, could, you could have this amazing, fulfilling way of running your business in that. So we get to help a group like C4 Foundation, again, that, that helps America's elite that support us and go through some fucking shit. And then I love the other other Yeah, who are the other ones? Flanders Fields. So what's Flanders that one Fields, they they do the job that not a lot of people are willing to do. Are they aligned with Black Rifle or something like that? So I, I see their posts the, all the, the time. The founder ha has a successful company and Black Rifle Company does state analytics and other things. And that wasn't enough for him. He wanted to give back in a way that few others can or will or can even stomach, you know? He's going after those that we can't we didn't help. They slipped through. They had the problems and they had serious issues that go on and where they got addicted to the drugs. They lost their homes. Wow. I mean, they've fallen into a situation that is hard to help in which they actively go out into crack houses, other very dangerous areas of the country. And they're saying, let us help you. Like you were a veteran once you served this country. Let us help you. That's amazing. They're, they're, they're addicts though. They don't want the help. Like, so this is a group who says we're going to go encounter people 
and they're going to not want us to help them. They're going to yell at us. They're going to be very resistant to what we're trying to do. But we know what they did. And what we did changed our lives. So there's no way we're going to let our brothers and sisters just wallow in that crack house. So Flanders Fields does a job that few are willing to do, and that's why we're going to support them. They are an organization that are doing things as far as like starting treatment facilities, starting places where they can take homeless people, take homeless veterans, show them a path, get them on another um, into a new chapter of their lives. So Flanders Fields, again, they're a group that touches everybody, every, special operations, regular army, everybody, all services. And then there's another group, One More Day, and their mission sounds exactly what it is in that there's some folks that before they've gotten into that environment, before um, before they had a chance to do anything, they found themselves in a situation in which they want to take their own lives. And One More Day is focused on changing that, on being that resource that, so a veteran doesn't take their life. So they're just the start of many, many organizations we're going to impact. But those are the three that we're supporting right now. That's awesome. So um, what would be your final message to the veterans that are listening right now? Like what, like you said, I mean, you said something that had a pretty huge impact, which was why would we tell veterans to find us on LinkedIn if they don't even know what LinkedIn is? Because you don't need that when you're active duty. Yeah. So what is the vehicle to connect to them? If you're a business, but more importantly, let's start with if you're the, if you're speaking to and you're that mentor right now to several veterans, there are veterans that are listening. Yeah. So um, what's your message to them? Right now, you're right. LinkedIn was a tool I learned about, not when I got out. I mean, it was a tool I was fortunate to learn about and go after and utilize and capitalize on. But we feel like Anchors was the the campaign that pushed us into realizing that we can do this at a much larger scale than we ever realized. And there's people who truly want to help. They've just never been presented an opportunity to help. So right now, we're going to keep for the life of our existence, Anchors that we are Overwatch is the easiest path for anyone. Just as it's spelled there, anchors. anchors at We Are Overwatch. And you can get, you can get in contact with anyone on the recruiting team. It'll be a, a blast that will hit many of us. And that's your opportunity. If you're a customer, if you want to find a way to hire veterans, if you're a veteran who's just thinking about joining, thinking about leaving the service, thinking about what your options are, shoot us an email. You're going to get taken care of by someone. They're going to register in our system, and we'll have a conversation. What happens next, it's, it's, uh, it's up to both of us. But that's the best way a veteran or a customer can get a hold of us right now. Okay, so customers too. And then, um, all right, well, look, I I think what's the next step? We talked about something you know, previously about a conference dedicated to veteran, you know, hiring veterans. You know, how far out do you think you are from being able to get your shit together to make that happen? <laughs> you know, um, that's one of the things that I think I resisted at first. When I think when I came out, I used a lot of the big names from veteran recruiting and they sent me on different hiring conferences and it just felt like, go talk to 50 people, you may take a job and you may be working for more than salt. You may be working for like in a factory, you may be working and there was no, it was just like, whatever you get is what you get. And I think that's just awful. <laughs> so like I resisted the idea of having conferences for so long until it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're not going to talk about all those things. It's just going to be data center shit. You want to be in sales. You want to be in marketing. You want to be in construction. You want to be in operations. You want to be in the technical side. This is what we do. You come here because you bought into the data center industry is not going away. It's just going to keep advancing every single year. It's going to keep changing. 
And that is where we want to operate in. And so if you want to be a part of that, those are the conferences that we hope to kick off in the spring of 2023. And we're going to do one larger conference throughout the year, but we're also going to come where our people are. We're going to go to these veterans um, locations. We're going to go bases all over the country. Initially, we're going to focus in Southern California and Colorado. If you're in Central Texas, we're going to find you're going to get in contact us, with us. And then we'll start peeling off towards the East Coast. Virginia is a hub for all of us. So if you're a military base in that area, more than likely we're going to be out in there as well because we feel although we can't hit a thousand people, if we stick to the online version, it makes sense to go shake some hands and go impact the people who are never going to get online that were just like me when I got out. So that's the, that's the plan. Do you think if I gave you enough additional Navy people, <laughs> you can um, maybe Navy create guys. like multiple charity golf events a year? You know, <laughs> So maybe what we ought to do is see if, how many more sailors it takes to help <laughs> Army guys run a successful golf tournament for a charity like One Tribe that we're doing this year. Um, what do you think? Maybe one? I'd like to hire another Central Texas-based chief. I'm going to admit it. Um, I'm, if you're infantry, you also should apply. But if you're a Central Texas chief, actually, we should talk. Yeah, that's wise. You're finally coming around. <laughs> About time you came around. Well, listen, Anchors that we are Overwatch. Just, uh, yeah, don't tell anyone. Any other messages for the customers? Again, uh, it's this was something that I was, wasn't was sure about at first because it seems self-serving and it seems like it's just a commercial for for uh, the Overwatch business. But understand, like, the real reason why I wanted to do it at the end was if any, I'll, I get asked questions all the time from customers um, or prospective partners that we'll use to help staff with veterans and, and they'll say things and I'm like, they'll ask me for, to do any, you know things all the time. And I'm like, I'll do anything that it takes to help one more veteran get a job. So if it's a suffering of some sort of inconvenience, then I'll do it. And if I, have to make a podcast, not have to, I get to make a podcast with you, even though I'm like, how do I make sure that we don't make this a commercial about making business for this? It's more about helping veterans, mm -hmm. right? So thanks for making it be more natural and fluid and dedicated to the most important thing, which was helping veterans. And then ultimately this platform should help contribute to that huge light that one day exists that becomes the collective so that every veteran can see it regarding the fact that they don't have a LinkedIn or they're like me and they don't use TikTok and other, you know, so <laughs> we have to find a way for the world to, to get it, you know, so hopefully Spotify or YouTube or Apple or Google or whatever well, it is. This is going to be grassroots. We got to get the message out by sending this link because, hey, I, my brother-in-law is getting out. My cousin's getting out. I sure. know my friend's getting out. Send this link. I love it. I love it, man. Well, hey, buenas. No, no, no. Muchas gracias. <laughs> no, no. Nailed it. <laughs> love you, brother. <laughs>